Welcome to Live at the Nutpah, episode 13. You're here with JB and David Cunningham and a special guest today from Queenstown. So yeah, Jason McGurr, who is the Managing Director of Fowler Homes and uh, I guess runs, uh, Jace, you run the Queenstown and uh, Invercargill franchises as well. Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Yes, yes, I do. Regionally operate Queenstown and Southland, along with the... Um, yeah, managing director of Fowler Homes nationally. Awesome, Jace. Awesome having you on the on the show. I guess we can call it a show, now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so how's the the winter gone? Obviously, Queenstown hurt a lot with uh, COVID lockdowns, no overseas tourists, and hardly any New Zealand tourists for a couple of years. How how's Queenstown come through that? And what's sort of the mood in town now? Uh, and you know, are there heaps of people there? Yeah, uh, yes, there's yeah heaps of people here. Ski season started, so everyone arrived in droves. The only um only thing didn't turn up so far this year has been the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a slow start. <laughs> <laughs> and and is Queenstown sort of feeling good? You know, it, it suffered obviously two years ago, but does it feel like back to normal? Yeah, I, f- I feel like we are getting back to normal. Tourism industry has rebounded. We're getting staff back into town, borders mm-hmm. back open, uh, people returning. Mm-hmm. Um, and the construction industry has continued, I'll say, strong. And we're leveling out to a more a level that we could continue at for long term, rather than being full gangbusters where everyone's trying to catch breath. Have they finished the um, roadworks downtown yet, or is that still going on? Uh, no, no, JB, that roadworks will be ongoing for the foreseeable future. It's going to be a great improvement, but it's definitely a long term project. You know, I, I I don't know. To me, like. You know, I get so frustrated, particularly with road and construction, um, how useless we appear to be at it in this country. But um, Queenstown, I, I, you know, I, when the wife was shopping, I, I sat out there eating my lunch, just watching the guys. And, you know, someone would place a brick and then they would stand around looking at it for 10 or 15 minutes, wait for a supervisor to come over and make sure the brick was in the right place. And uh, then they'd stand around for a few more minutes and then, They'd wander off and then someone else would lay a brick. And yeah. like... So it sounds a bit like another brick in the wall <laughs> one at a time. Hey, in terms of property prices down there, one one thing that Stan has stood out, you know, in Wellington, property prices are down 25% from their peak. In Auckland, it's not too different. New Zealand-wide, I think it's 18% from peak to trough. But Queenstown, right through the last couple of years, prices have held up and it's probably only the last few months where there's been any sort of decline but what what was driving that why did queenstown prices rise actually rise post post the peak everywhere else in the country when everywhere else was going down what was the driver of that jason we see it for a number of reasons one of the predominant ones is land availability and the speed that it's being released Mm -hmm. we have developers wanting to develop land once they get through the process to be allowed to do that, then it can actually start. Um, some of these projects are taking four or five years to get off the ground. Oh. They're, they're then going through the earthworks process, then getting through titling. So we could be, it's not uncommon in Queenstown to purchase a section 18 months before you get title. So a lot changes in your personal life in 18 months while you're waiting for that. So back to the house prices then, has that meant that the demand has just out, continued to outstrip supply because the supply is so slow to come onto the market because of the reasons you've just described? That is definitely one of the factors. That's probably one yeah. of the larger factors. 
with people beginning to work from home a bit more. Queenstown and Central Otago are a great place to be. You can yeah. you're you're a one and a half hour flight from Auckland. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think yeah, I've got a number of clients that have got properties down there now. And I think that whole living from home and remote working thing's been quite transformational for the way that the country works. Um, and if you think about it, a secondary home, where would you have it? Queenstown would mm. probably be top of the list for most people. Mm. And hey, my observation, I was down there when I rode from Bluff to Cape Rehanga a couple of years ago. Um, I stopped in Queenstown, uh, Aratown and there. And, and one thing that struck me was although house prices were high, the quality of the house was vastly higher than everywhere else I'd been. Like we, you know, we looked at some houses in Dunedin where my wife's from and it was just, there was hardly anything in that higher bracket, but the average house was really crappy. Whereas in Queenstown, Aratown and that, man, the average house, you, what you paid for you, maybe 1.5 million, you got a lot more for your money. Is that sort of a fair reflection, do you reckon? You're right. It's not a reflection on the trades, the builders themselves, but it's a reflection on what clients' expectations are and what they want. Mm. So we're finding even first home buyers, builders, they come in, you could get a entry-level brick and tile, three-bedroom house and, you know, five, six hundred thousand. But that's not what they want. They're coming in, they're wanting four bedrooms, en suites, tiled bathrooms, schist, cedar, and then attached units. And we're up, you know, hitting a million dollar mark. And that's people's first homes. <laughs> it's an expensive first home. There is something, though, to be said about, I mean, I think we've seen this elsewhere in the South Island as well, is where you've got you know, kind of long-term builders that have been in the market for years and years and years, um, they do tend to build a better quality product. Like, I think the quality of building in Auckland is so much lower generally than what you get in places like the South Island. Mm. I've had, but, I've had hey, a little, little bit to deal with that. I was up in Auckland a couple of weeks ago for master build for one of these things, looking at a house that had some issues. Oh, um, yeah. And that could be a reflection on yeah, the size of the city, the number of builds happening, and maybe oversight on those builders. Um, place like Queenstown, it's it's a smaller town. Yeah. So you, you're going to get noticed if you're not doing things to a high standard. And we aim to keep at that really high standard. We won't drop that. And we're happy to sit at that point of the market because at the end of the day, it's your client's investment or if we're building as a turnkey, we're looking to sell this product and we want it to stand out from others. So that's really important to us. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's that's cool. And hey, so just with the construction sector at the moment, I'm sort of starting to see, I've always, I've been expecting it to slow down obviously for a while, but a lot of, a lot of builders, a lot of people in the sector had enough forward order books to, to kind of keep them busy. But I've, I've certainly sensed in the last sort of two to three months with a lot of these projects finishing, particularly a lot of townhouse projects finishing, um, there just isn't the forward order work there. And there are a lot, a lot of firms now starting to talk about retrenchment and stuff, particularly up here in Auckland. Is that something you're sort of hearing more about at an industry level? I mean, Queenstown's different, but you know, across the country, are you sort of starting to to hear that as well? Yeah, definitely for our group across the country, there's reports of at different stages to what you've been saying in Auckland. We've looked to pivot away from the standard design build. We wait for someone to knock on the door, say, I have a section, please build me a house, to doing turnkey work, getting sections for house and land, looking for 
work with maybe Kainga or um, anything that's a little bit different than the usual to get through that, to level out, you know, the boom bust cycle that New Zealand construction likes to go through. Central Otago is very different to that. It's just kept going. But even locally, we're taking some of these lessons from around the country and doing it here so we can get through. If there's a downturn, we won't really notice it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a downturn. It's going to be interesting. I had a big developer up here in Auckland. I bumped into him on the road the other day, and he's busy pricing up a fairly big project at the moment. He was saying that his pricing's back to 2021 pricing, uh, and it's down about 20% on what he was getting priced um, fairly recently. So his cost was down about 8 mil. Yeah, hey, that's huge. What have you seen in construction costs? I, I did an article, uh, which I think I posted last week, um, on the construction cost index and how it compared to move the movement in house prices. And over the last seven years, they were back at the same level. The house price index and construction cost index have both gone from 100 to 143 over that period. But of course, house prices got way higher than construction costs out of inflation for a while. But, um, you know, both had gone up quite materially. So, what what are you what are you seeing down your way in terms of construction costs? You know, timber, labour, all the services and tradies and all that. What's what's it looking like down your way, or more generically across the country from what you hear, Jason? Uh, materials are levelling out, so we're not seeing these bi-weekly increases across the board, oh. which is really really good. Easier to plan well in advance. We found that any savings, so so timber prices pulled back a bit which was great, um, and that slightly was offset by wages that have had to increase at the same time. So if timber paid back 10%, your frame and trust companies are paying everyone more as minimum wage went up and everything flowed through, and that along with inflation on fuel for transport, that has affected it. So we see it more as a right through the build and come out the other end you know, unscathed. So what was it like when there was real shortages of things like jib and timber and so on? Uh, Geez, that must have been hard, or did you just plan so far ahead that you had good supply coming your way? What was that like? It was challenging. We've we've always planned quite a way ahead. So if we go to contract on a build, the whole house is ordered, you know, within two or three days, right down to the the appliances that are arriving at the end. So we alleviated some of that. Uh, Jib was a different beast. We got through in the South Island okay, doing some really good national deals, getting bulk orders. But in saying that, we do that, you know, the next competitor does that, and that creates a problem in itself. Uh, Yeah. But while we were respecting and looking after our clients, so it was a no-brainer to do it, we just had to, yeah, hold orders in stock to be able to keep the houses moving. That was priority one. I was just thinking, um, the the other thing that happened is, of course, there was a change in the insulation and and heating regulations, right? And that flowed through into the building code. Did that lead to a significant increase in your build cost, sort of per square metre? It it did in different parts of the country. So central, we always did insulated foundations as a standard because it gets cold here. Yeah. but the likes of Invercargill, where it doesn't get to minus 10 in winter, you wouldn't have thought about that. So that has had an effect there. Um, the increased insulation for your, your windows, 
that's a that is a real expense. It's great to have. It's an it's an awesome thing to have for a good home. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I look at it, you know, for your first home buyers, people trying to get into the market, anything that adds thousands of dollars to your build could be the make or break. Can I do it? Can I not? Yeah. So, yeah. You do wonder, I guess, in time, if you know, with scale, the, the cost of these things come back to to not being too much of a premium. But yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I suppose. A fair bit of what you're describing is uh, building healthy homes. We had um, here at Squirrel, we had the CEO of Asthma New Zealand come in and they did a series. I think it was about six uh, episodes on healthy homes. And I guess the key insight was New Zealand hasn't been building healthy homes. And, you know, unlike many other parts of the world, and as a result, we had a lot more asthma, a lot more health problems. Uh, and and you know we're still probably even the building standards now are possibly not where they need to be. Any reflection on that, Jason? I believe it'll be it'll be different with who's building and what you are having built. Yeah, the standards that before the H1 rules changed. Mm. I mean, I was living in a house built under the old the old rules, mm. and you know, ask for wife and kids. You know, is is the house warm? It's yes. You know, is everyone healthy? Yeah, self driven. Get out, go for a run. But I want everyone to be living in warm, dry homes. I don't want anyone being, you know, the health, or especially kids' health being affected because of where they'd have to live. Mm. Um, you would have to um, speak to the guys who have the stats on this. But a lot of it could be driven from the older housing stock. Yeah, That yeah. is just not anywhere near the standard of the old new building code. Well, yeah. well that's it, right? I mean, that, that's the thing is that, I mean, that's, it's, there's so many old, shitty old houses around. I mean, go down to Need and look at all the student flats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that, that that's not miraculously going to be brought up to the modern standards. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, they're chucking heaters in them now, a bit of insulation yeah. hey, here or there. Hey, so, Jason, what you're saying is the new building standards now are at the level they should be. It's more the old stock that, um, you know, if you're a rental property owner, actually, you've got to tidy it up, but, you know, bring it up to a certain standard. But there are lots of exceptions there. But if it's your own house, you sort of grin and bear it if you've got a high mortgage rate to pay and can't afford the insulation that should be being put in, maybe. Correct. Yeah. You're 100% correct. We've yeah. recently moved into an older house for ourselves as a development yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, it's good enough for us to live in, but we could not rent it. Yeah, isn't that interesting, eh? So all <laughs> us poor homeowners live in shitty houses, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting insight in terms of rental properties. But But I guess landlords have had a lot of time to to prepare for that um you know it's been several years in the coming and that and and coming so yeah yeah hey i'm thinking about the cost to build in new zealand versus australia do you have any perspectives jason um it's been eight years since i built in australia mm -hmm. but anecdotally a sheet of um what would be jip rock so aussie jib board would be mm -hmm. you know it could be half the price what we're paying here at the same you could walk into bunnings australia Bunnings, New Zealand, then it'd be a different price. So, yes, it's definitely more cost effective to build in Australia. They do have, you know, larger numbers. What are we, 20, 25 million people versus five? Um, economies of scale. And New Zealand finds itself importing quite a lot of these materials and often from Australia. <laughs> are the Australian build standards lower? Uh, uh, like uh, our standards higher and therefore putting more sort of cost into the build process than Aussie? Yes. Yeah, a mixture of, of that definitely because it gets 
colder here. Where I was in North Queensland, didn't have to worry about that at all. It was more about calling the house. Yeah. Um, that and simple things like building inspections. May have changed slightly since I was there, but we had three inspections for the builder through the entire project. It was pre poor frame and brace, house finished. And locally here, we could have 14 inspections for a standard build. Yeah, totally. And I'd imagine the consenting's easier over there as well. I, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, resource consents over here can be an absolute nightmare. And, you know, you know, we're worried about so many different things and we have to go and get check this environmental thing and this thing and, you know, figure out where we're going to plant the plants. And, and in Australia, I guess it's just this big barren piece of rock, right? And they don't really care too much about it. So you just do what you want. Yes, yeah, resource consenting was certainly easier over there. My <laughs> wife, Jen, she, my wife, she ran a subdivision consent herself and just dished it up for us ready to go. Um, here, she worked for council and was an expert at it, but would still have to engage planners and go through a rigorous process before we get even to the building consent stage. And I had a situation here in Auckland where I was doing a development and I had to fight the council through the environment court twice to get the resource consent out. And, and what was really bizarre is I was working with the Auckland planners and they gave, they, they proposed how they wanted us to build it. And we went, hey, that's awesome. That sounds really good. So we adopted their proposal. And then when we went to get the consent, it was, it was objected by the council. And then we went to the environment court and we won twice, mm. but it cost me $600,000 to get the consent out. That's crazy. Eh? So just back to that Australia piece, and perhaps we'll pick up that bureaucracy bit again, but um, cheaper building materials, uh, less bureaucracy, I think I'm hearing in the process, because bureaucracy adds cost, right? Oh, that whole, that whole, whole legal process. Do the impact of, you know, do the there's a lot more group builders in Australia than New Zealand, you know, the Fletchers that are doing, you know, thousands of houses sort of across uh, places at a time. Does that too make a difference? You know, the economies of scale, you get, I mean, you'll be getting some, I guess, Jason, through Fowler, but do those really big firms, does that economy of scale also play a part in making houses in Australia cheaper? It certainly will for supplies, because I'd expect if I was building a thousand houses to yeah. get it cheaper than then I could buy it in New Zealand, certainly, because it's a numbers thing. Um, but when you get to those sorts of scales, end of the day, the um, responsibility or to make sure everything is done well falls on, you know, the directors. It falls on one person's head at the end. and They cannot even begin to know who those thousand clients are. Mm. So while you can get the scale, then quality seems to go by the wayside a little bit for speed. Right. Um, mm. And as soon as things get a little bit difficult, which has been seen over in Australia, is some of these bigger companies go, oh, yeah, the prices have moved. It's too difficult. We're not doing it. So I like to be a, maybe a happy medium where you can have your scale, yeah. but quality and follow through is still there. Yeah, I often think the thing with scale, because that's true in any industry, it's not just the building thing, is that you're just putting your overhead and fixed costs across a smaller number of units. So you've got, I mean, you've got that classic negotiated scale where I'm buying, I'm buying a whole lot of this product off you before I want a better price. But 
but fundamentally in a small economy like New Zealand, you're just spreading fixed costs over a smaller volume. And, and it's happening everywhere, right? And if you think about the construction process, there's, there's such a big uh, sort of ecosystem uh, within that, right? There's there's millions of these little businesses that are all covering their overheads and, and trying to make a buck and, you know, slapping on that bit extra mm. because they have to. I mean, one of the things I've always been fascinated with construction is how everyone subbed out their builders. Like, there are very few firms here that actually control the whole process themselves. It's amazing in the development space. You get all these developers. None of them actually run construction businesses. Everything's subbed out. They get a head contractor. The head contractor's a head contractor. They sub everything out. It's like everything's subbed and subbed and subbed. And I that add margin to every step. Well, it's cost. Yeah. It, 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 but you know, in the absence of scale, um, the way that you protect yourself, because you don't know when your next job's going to come. This is this whole boom-bust thing with the whole industry, right? The boom-bust thing drives a, 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 an industry where you want low costs. And so you sub everything out. So you only pay for it when you need it. But there's this inherent cost in that that we're all paying for. Mm, it's yeah. a... So it's a fascinating thing, but yeah. Hey, hey, Jason, talking, think about people, the people side getting staff. Um, I was looking at some immigration stats the other day about visas that have been granted, and there was it was the biggest category, seven and a half thousand visas granted to builders, laborers, sort of thing. Was it really hard? Has it been? What's it been like getting staff? And has it changed much in the last, say, six to twelve months? Touch wood, locally, we've done really, really well. Um, your business partner, you just spoke about um, head contractors subbing everything out. We're slightly different. Our business partner has his carpentry company alongside. So we carry 14 builders who only do fowler work. Yeah. Um, the reason being is then we can get a lot more control yeah. and being able to get things finished. Because you're right, bigger projects tend to have layers upon layers. Mm. Um we're working with some big clients at the moment who went down the consultant path, got all the way through design, and it was going to be a few layers before the first person picked up a hammer. <laughs> we've, 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 and we've now taken it over and we carry our own internal designers. We're running their resource consent, building consent, and we are the head contractor and we are doing the job. Mm. So it takes those layers out and gives that client a bit more, I say, control of yep. cost or how the design is going to affect cost because we're directly telling them your decision is going to cost x so they know on day one mm -hmm. hey so jason for all the sort of people listening to the podcast that are thinking of building buying their first house what what advice would you give them in terms of how to you know what are maybe the top three tips one of them's probably you you of course but you know what are the sort of top three tips for either maybe first home buyers let's do that first and then after that sort of think about a person that owns a house and wants to build sort of new what what are the top three tips you'd give first home buyers from lot from when i did it is go get some advice talk to your financial advisor on what you can spend mm. and what you want to spend. So when you come to a builder, you can, you don't want to, it's not about giving away too much information, but we can only help when we know your circumstances. So if you come in and say, I went to, went to Squirrel, got a mortgage, I can have 750,000. Jace, what can I do? 
then I can say, right, this is the sort of home you can get into. Um, you want it to be a fixed price build contract. That's yeah. really yeah. important. It's important for high-end clients. It's certainly important for first-home buyers. You don't want to get to half-time and realise all these provisional sums have added another 50000 to your job. <laughs> That's what happens on every episode of, what's that? Um, Grand Designs. Grand, <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of work at the start of a project, designing it, speaking it, choosing everything. At Fowlers, we do that all up front. So it takes weeks longer, weeks longer than some others who can turn a price around in a week. But at the end of the day, your price is your price. That's it. Earthworks, no one can get that exact. So that's a provisional sum. But then every part of your house is locked in. If you don't change it, yeah, that's the product you'll get at the end and that's the cost you're paying. Yep. That's so find out, find out how much you can borrow. So speak to an advisor, you know, know what you've got to spend. Be open with the builder about what you've got. You know, generally not the builder's not going to take advantage of you and you know price everything up because they know you've got seven fifty. They're, they're pretty honest, like you. <laughs> and um and fixed price, you know, so be open up front with the builder, fixed price, turnkey. Yes. And take you can um get references. We're big on that. New clients get in yeah. touch. I'll send them references for clients they can cold call them. I just mm. don't mind. Because mm. everybody gets the same story. If you guys ask me. First home person, their multi bill client, everything's the same every time. Mm, yeah. So people just get used to that. That's the standard I want people to expect. Mm. And we'll lose jobs to someone who's, you know, cheaper on day one. But it's the at half time when it starts to change, that's when I get the phone calls back saying, <laughs> it's more in line with what you said. Can you help? <laughs> and by then, it's a little bit too late. <laughs> so what about for next home buyers? I guess the added complication is you're, you're living somewhere and you've ultimately got to sell that. You know, is there a different set of problems or things you need to think about as a next home buyer, someone constructing? Yes, if you're, you're trying to time a sale or to get out of your rental in time for settlement or to get to make that gap as small as you can, um, make sure your builder's just communicating as the builder's progressing and we tell people we'll give you a set handover date. It's going to be roughly six weeks in advance. It makes it harder for when you're selling your house, but a rental that takes the time. Mm -hmm. But when you tell people here's a date, and it's you know you're it's a little bit of a guesstimate. You say but well, don't hold us to it. You've asked. That's when people invite their family from England. They sell their house. They get rid of their rental, and then you've got half a dozen homeless people standing at the gate <laughs> a week earlier than you want. Yeah. Hey, um, so would you recommend, you know, if you're going to build, would you recommend selling your house and going renting while that construction goes on? Does that relieve the financial stress or is each to their own on that one? It would be each to your own a little bit. You'd be looking to sell at what you believe is the best time in the market. If you think the market might be adjusting down slightly for older stock, it could be good to sell now and jump into a rental. Um, the rental rules have adjusted so you could get out of that reasonably easy. It's um a little bit pro-tenant, which has been it's good for some landlords. They needed that. But there's there's definitely advantages of being in your own home, just reducing your own debt. But that will be definitely personal. That'd be a that'd be a question for your for your squirrel boys when they yeah, go and 
Hey, look, we should probably wrap up now. I think there are probably two key takeouts. Been, been, uh, been a bit cheeky. You squirrel for advice and Fowler for the book. <laughs> <laughs> but JB, uh, Jason, do you want to wrap up? Yeah. Oh, look, I think we're in for some some interesting times. You know, I think the construction sector slowing down is is just a, a natural part of the cycle that we're in. It's it's a shame that we sort of seem to go from boom to bust all the time. We've we've never seemed to master the art of just consistently building. And of course, the problem is if we do have a bit of a bust now, it just it just makes the problem bigger on the other side, right? Yeah, the next boom's bigger, yeah. Yeah, and I unfortunately, I can sort of see that, you know, at some point in the cycle, we're going to lose a whole lot of good tradies to Australia. Yeah. Again, again, same thing happened after the GFC, and uh, we'll end up back in the housing shortage. Okay, hey, last word for you, Jason. It's just anyone out there who's looking to get into a new home, you start talking to your builder early and get them involved at design stage. And and I can't say it too much. Get get a fix get a fixed price build contract. And if you just want to talk to someone, call one of the Fowler team. We're just happy to talk to people and explain it. We've been around a while doing this. Brilliant. Okay, hey, thanks everyone. Catch you next awesome. week. Cheers, man. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.